Two pastors and Tom walk into a bar, but this is no joke. It's the start of a conversation between three friends about culture, God, beer, and more. So pull up a chair, order a pint, and let's get started. Come on over and have a seat at the table of the Pine Glass Preachers. I'm Tom, and the fine gentlemen sitting with me are none other than my good friends, Gabe and Josh. Hey, guys, did you hear about the time that Moses was golfing with two other guys? Okay, so Moses goes up. He gets up to the tee box. He hits a shot. Now, there is a, a pond right in front of him, and the ball rolls right in front, kind of worm burner, and it's heading right towards the pond. And Moses quick holds up his hands, and the pond Parts in two, and the ball goes right through on dry ground, rolls up on the green. He's got a nice putt for birdie, right? So Jesus is the second guy. He gets up. He, uh, he goes up. He hits his shot, and the ball goes nice flying in the air, but it's short, and it goes right into the middle of the pond. But instead of going into the water, it's, it, like, hovers right above the water. So Jesus just walks out across the water. He calmly looks, takes a couple practice swings, hits his ball onto the green. He's got a nice shot for birdie as well third guy gets up he looks at it he hits his ball careens to the left bounces off the road hits a truck bounces over into someone's driveway bounces up onto the roof down into the gutter it goes down in the gutter it comes out it's heading straight for this same pond but right before it gets there it kind of stops but a bullfrog jumps up grabs it in its mouth just as he does that an eagle flies over grabs the bullfrog there, the eagle flies over, and just as it's flying over the green, the bullfrog, like, like its mouth opens up, the ball drops down, and it drops in for a hole-in-one. Moses just looks over to Jesus and says, man, I hate playing with your dad. I was really hoping the ellipsis at the beginning of that sentence and run-on story meant that you weren't going to tell the whole thing. No, I was no, really no. thinking the same thing. Were you, you not, did. Were you not given enough attention as a child, Tom? No. You did. Is that no, 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 no. did that. So this whole intro and that whole joke is gonna come into play here in our whole uh in our whole topic for the day. But what Why did we... you say that? No one is gonna listen anymore. It's no, over. No, no, no. <laughs> it's no. the end of pint glass. Please ignore no, no. Tom. Listen to me and Gabe. No, listen. no. You know what it does remind me of though, uh I was actually just reading a book that I got from my grandpa. They just moved into a, an assisted living and we were grabbing all his books and it was like an actual like biography of James Naismith, the creator of the game of basketball. But it was like a book that was written just like three years afterwards. So fantastic book. I just finished that a couple of weeks ago. Dude, that's so interesting because I was in a meeting the other day with a chick whose name was Novella. So her name literally means like a small or short book. Really? I just read a bunch of, sh well, not short books, but... I just read uh, tons of sonnets by Shakespeare. I kind of just got into this lately with uh, some English, uh, English poetry, if you will. Side note, with all his iambic pentameter, did you know that Aerosmith sings most of his songs in iambic pentameter? Dude, I had no idea. But just to pass the time this week, I literally read the entire theological dictionary of the New Testament by Kittle, which is 14 volumes. And it really brought up my Greek. It was getting rusty, and I really needed to pick that back up. 
Why you do know, I feel spe- like some joke's no, no. happening here? So no, no. So speaking of Greek, I tried to get into the Iliad, and I got halfway through. I just can't do it. It's just too much. You really should start with Plato or Aristotle. I mean, their works are just seamless, one with one another. What is happening? And two, when you, you know, when you really want to increase your knowledge of existential philosophy, like perhaps Gabe might want, Gabe might want to. Am I dead? No, I, I've already, I've already punked. I've already read Aristotle, but really. After all these years, you two gang up on me. You listen, two, Gabe. No, no, no. Here's I'm no, no, here's no, the deal, Gabe. Together. Listen, Gabe. Listen, listen, listen. What? We need Tom and I in a very circumventional. Is that a word? Circuitous? Circumventional? Circumstance or circuitous, I think, would be the two words we're okay. looking for. In an extremely circuitous way, are calling you out for your snobbery last episode. When you made some comment to the effect of like, don't you guys, doesn't anyone read books anymore? And so we, Gabe, proved you wrong and went and read tons of classics and highly educational volumes to prove to you that, yes, people still read books. You're not the only one. Well, I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear it. Seriously, Gabe, you made that comment last week. I called you out on it. And then when I went back to listen to it, just for editing purposes, it came off as even more pretentious and arrogant the second time than it did the first. <laughs> Just can we get like can it. we get a Facebook? Listen, listen. First of all, yeah, I'm skipping like three of our initial segments to say this. We're taking a vote. Yeah, if you thought Gabe's comment about none of you being able to read, or the fact that you don't read books anymore was snobbish and pretentious, please text us yes or no. At 612-208-6258. Once again, please send us a text if you side with Tom and I, or if Gabe stopped texting, I can see you texting 612-208-6258. I'm going to delete that text when I receive it. Stop texting. But for the rest of you listeners, please text and let us know, was Gabe being a book snob? A biblioteca snob? The answer is yes. Can I... And I'm just, not talking about the Kickstarter either. That's the thing. Can I tell you something? He was. Fact. I just sent you a text that I was. But let me be clear. I was not saying <laughs> I was not saying our good listener are not good readers. They are. I was saying the Could general populace is a bunch of idiots. That's what I was saying. Oh. But our good oh, listeners are oh. above average. They're exceptional people. Whoa. Breaking news. We just received a text from some <laughs> anonymous listener who said yes. Gabe was being snobbish and pretentious. Who could have said that's my thing? That's that's my yeah. charm. That's okay. why the people All right. love me. All right. Okay, Gabe, let's move on to someone and well, not someone, but some people who are far less pretentious than us. How about our partners at the Gospel Economist? Mm. Fact. The Gospel Economist are wonderful people. They really are pretentious snobs like me, uh, and they're not jerks like my friends. Uh, they are just wonderful folks, a group of writers and bloggers that seek the story of Jesus and his payment for our sins in our everyday lives. Uh, we encourage you to check them out at medium.com slash the-gospel-economist. They've been doing kind of an archives thing this summer, uh, pulling back some of their classics uh, from the past year. So we really encourage you to check them out. Our podcast is posted on their website. So that gives you two reasons to check them out. Gents, what are we drinking tonight? 
Well, I think, first of all, before we get there, I think we need to uh, we need to shout out just a little bit more about the Gospel Economist. Uh, they have a couple of really good reads right now, uh, two that I enjoyed, A God of All the Feels, uh, really kind of looking at that relationship about, uh, you know, this the feelings that you get when it comes to worshiping and, and, and having a faith. Uh, then there's another one called Welcome to the Team. Uh, so just for all you sports nuts out there, good reads. You need to get there. Go for it. Gabe, what are you drinking? Mm, so good. So actually, today's an exciting day for me. I'm drinking a beer I've never had before. Uh, it's, I believe it's pronounced Ovila. It's a white ale, uh, a Belgian-style Abbey ale from Ooh. Sierra Nevada. It's brewed with Ooh. coriander and orange peel. Uh, and it's it's really, really good. I got it from my dad. Thanks, Dad. Wow. Thanks, Dad. Pastor Casper. Mm. Pastor Casper. Thank you. Is he the Bishop of Ypsilanti? Uh, <laughs> everything about that was wonderful. And in a sense, yes. But go on. Fantastic. Well, I also have a bit of exciting news. I am drinking something brand new, too. And it is also in the Belgian style. You may have heard of Stella Artois. But, but okay. tonight, I am drinking I th- what I think Stella is... Stella Artois. For no, the no. who reads... <laughs> oh boy i actually only drink stella artois oh wait, it's not it's not stella artois <laughs> yeah i was saying it wrong all these years no actually uh i'm drinking what seems to be a knockoff of stella artois which is called bochot or something which is a belgian premium lager sounds nice. like more expensive bud light Listen, I was stranded at a Walmart <laughs> in the middle of nowhere in East Tennessee, and this is what they had. I had no choice. I was punished. Oh, sorry, buddy. I know. Tom, what do you got tonight, my friend? I am back on the train, boys. I... Choo-choo! Yeah, so tonight, uh, this is the first time I have uh, had an alcoholic beverage in three weeks, and I made one of my killer margaritas now several, several episodes ago. I'm talking a full year ago. Uh, I talked about these margaritas and how to make them. And you're probably thinking, I don't really want to go back and find that episode. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, it's two shots of tequila, one shot of a orange liqueur, like triple sec or Grand Marnier. Then you are going to squeeze in a full lime. You're going to mix that all up. You're going to throw in a dollop or two to your preference of pure agave syrup. And then you are going to mix it all up. You're going to put salt or sugar on the rim to your liking, and then you're going to drink it. Now, tonight, I have put in a small slice of a Serrano uh, chili pepper, and it is fantastic. Tom, that's great. The biggest question is, were you able to cleanse your system? It's gluten, boys. Gluten is my my nemesis. No way! You're celiac? What? No, no, no. No, no, no. I'm not celiac because uh, we actually just had friends over the other day who – who are legitimate celiac celiacs? Is, is that really the way we we talk about them? <laughs> oh, celiacs! Oh, uh, celiacs! Yeah, uh, they have celiacs, and you know when they eat gluten, they are they are on the couch or the toilet or one of the two, like they are down for the count, and it is an awful, awful situation. I am like, if I have gluten, I am mildly uncomfortable for short portions of the day. Like it's. Like, it's just not to the point where if someone's like, hey, we're making burgers tonight, I'm not going to refuse that. If we're having pizza, fine. I'll just 
you know, whatever. But it, it's gluten. That sucks, but whatever. Man, Tom, I'm so sorry about that. It's tough getting old. I know. We're, I know. We're praying for you. Yeah. I'm praying that Fiber One bars and Fiber One yogurt will never run out of stock at your local Walmart. Yeah, it'll be great because I'm not sure that's going to help me. Hey, we need. Speaking of which, Walmart wants to be a corporate sponsor. Yeah, that's not true. Thank, thank you, Walmart. Thank you, Walmart. Okay, hey, hey we got some questions on our phone number six one two two zero eight six two five eight. Please feel free. And I'm gonna to I'm gonna read the first one here, and okay. I'm gonna use it as a tease because so good friends of our of the show, Stephen Burnow says. On your last show, you talked about how you were a Democrat, and I think he was, that's the the general you, it's all of us. Uh, obviously, that is not the first thing one thinks of when you describe a Christian, which is the most amazing statement in the world, um, especially of the LCMS nature, of which we all three are. What makes one a Democrat or a Republican? Well, I'll just, the short answer is if you hate people, you're a Republican. Um, <laughs> wow. And, Oh, wow. no, sorry, sorry, sorry. I didn't qualify that well. If, 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 if you are of color uh, or not straight. Uh, anyway, and wow. what, if anything... Oh, boy, we are just dropping gauntlet and bull <laughs> gloves left and right. I'm only half joking there. And what, if anything, does, does this have to do with our faith? How should we as Christians approach politics? This is a fantastic question. And what we've been doing is we've been doing for some of these questions that, that we're going to end up talking about for a half hour. We made it into a B side now, but I think this is a whole episode. Agree. Agree. Okay. So our next episode guys, our next episode is going to be about, can you be a Christian and a Democrat at the same time? What? Hey, that sounds like, fun. I know we just blew everyone's mind. All right, that's the next episode. But so, Stephen, hold on. We're gonna answer your question. We're coming, Stephen or Steve. Do you want to hear something amazing, though, Tom? Yeah. Okay. So Stephen's question was about politics, right? Yeah. Uh, we got a, a few other texts, but one of them was from our friend Dej. Dej. In, in which he asked the question: Is a hot dog a sandwich? Absolutely. And you may oh. not realize this, but that question actually has to do with politics. And here's how I know. Uh, there is another podcast, the largest conservative podcast in the nation, The Ben Shapiro Show. In of which, which you're recently a huge fan. <laughs> which I am. But just hear me out. Just hear me out. Just hear me out. In which he has asked that exact same question, which I'm certain is where Dej got the question from. But also on a political note, what I try to do is this. is I listen to him because he's super conservative and I listen to Pod Save America because they're uh, former Obama staffers and super liberal. And so I listen to both of them every week, and it keeps me balanced. So nice. what does it have to do with a hot dog being a sandwich? Well, no, other no. than the fact that I'm on to Dej's charade, and I know it's from the Ben Shapiro show. Okay, so question, Josh, did you listen to the, the Dan Lebitard show that I told you no, to listen to? No, dude, I just got back from a week-long summer camp where I had okay. no Wi-Fi and no cell service. So for all, all you listeners out there, go to ESPN uh, app, go to Dan Lebitard show and listen to the July 19th. He has three hours and then they have the best of where they just kind of edit all together the best parts of those three hours. And if you listen to it, it is the most hilarious thing possible. They are talking about what makes a sandwich. And so I, I, I want to resurrect this argument very quickly. What makes a sandwich? Is a wrap a sandwich? No, no, Why? It is, it's a burrito. It's a burrito. It's, yeah, because it involves a tortilla. 
Yeah, I think a sandwich by definition uses some type of bread. This is a bread. Okay, it has to have types of bread. So is a panini a sandwich? Yes. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Is a hot dog a sandwich? No. Yes. No. Why? No. It's it two has separate some kind of bread. Yep. The bread. It's got to be two separate pieces of bread. So is a hamburger a sandwich? Yes. Oh, really? Because wait, wait a second. Wait a. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh no no no. Okay. If if it, it, two separate pieces of bread is that what you said, Gabe? So, when so you if go I to take Subway, a baguette, so if I take a baguette and yes, exactly. Subway. If we go to Subway or take a baguette or a ciabatta yep. or something, yep. and only slice it so it doesn't create two separate slices, yep. then yep. it is no longer a sandwich. Not a sandwich. What is it then? Lying to us this whole time. Yep. Well, no. what, what what is it? Wow. It's a it's a submarine or a hoagie. Oh what? No. no. Those are sandwiches. A sub sandwich or a hoagie sandwich. Nope. Two slices That's what of everyone bread. in the world calls it. No, no. Two this slices is of bread. Listen, I'm listen, listen. on this. Listen. Hey, that's oh, what Ben Shapiro said, and he's always right. Okay. Oh, we ah, uh, yeah. Don't oh, he is I'm just always gonna groan. Ma, ma, oh. Ben Shapiro is always right. See what I did uh, there? Yeah, it's uh-huh. hilarious. Nice. Um, nice. So, I'm gonna throw this one out to end this argument, uh, and it's what it's what ended the Dan Levitard show argument. Uh, what about an ice cream sandwich? Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. I'm going right? to say no because an ice cream sandwich does not have two slices of bread. Although Yet, it is- yet you, can't, you cannot describe the thing that yeah. is an ice cream sandwich without saying the word sandwich. That well, is wrong. what it is. Dude. Well, what I can say for certain is Thank you to Dan Levitard and Stu Gotts and the entire Dan Levitard show for being a corporate sponsor of Pine Glass Preachers. We're going to soon be featured on ESPN as both opener and closers and replace Ron Gill as a weekly segment <laughs> of the Dan Levitard show. It's Ron McGill, isn't it? With, with a Mick, isn't it? Yeah, it's a McGill. You're right. All I, right. I messed that one up. All right. We're going to go to break. And when we come back, we're going to get into why my opening and my terrible, terrible joke actually has to do with what we're talking about today. I sure hope so. Let's go to break. All right, we're back. And as promised, I'm going to explain to you why my terrible joke in the beginning was is part of this episode. Uh, if you remember, it was Moses and Jesus. And then the punchline was that God the Father was golfing. And so it involved parting of the waters. It involved walking on water and then a bunch of fantastical things that happened to make a hole in one. And so uh, as we continue on this episode of, of Rise of the Nuns, uh, we're going to continue to uh, to explore some of the questions that we've gotten from our listeners through text. Uh, through What's that text number again? 612-208-6258. Yeah. Um, you can, te- you can, we got uh, questions through the text. We got it through, through email. We got it through Facebook, all sorts of ways. Um, and so one of the questions or a lot of the questions that we have were uh, what do we think actually happened during some of the more outlandish stories of the Bible. 
uh, Noah's Ark, uh, Moses parting of the Red Sea, Jesus turning water into wine, Jesus walking on water. Let's just, let's not even talk about the resurrection Okay. of Christ let's leave it let's let's go old testament this whole way let's talk about Whoa. well no we'll, we'll use Jesus some of the miracles that he pulled to um but what do we how do we explain this how do we think about this you guys are the experts go wow read the book miracles by c.s lewis okay done thanks for joining us everybody yep done thank you yes lewis for who those of us who don't read books game <clears throat> Um, you <laughs> so for my non-literate friends, if you take a break from Netflix, who are binging, none of our good will, listeners, um, right? No, our listeners. So this is for you two. So um, this is for your friends, listeners. This is for your friends. Yeah. But, but, by the way, uh, weakest save ever. Gabe trying to weasel a lot of uh, his comments from. No, no doubt, it's not. Yeah, I just owned terrible. up to it. No, it's pretty terrible. No, you guys are terrible. All right, listen, let's get into this. Mir- miracles. Miracles in the OT. Should we just start there? Let's just start there. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, um, right. So we got Noah's Ark, the flood happening. Uh, Josh, you believe that actually happened? Uh, yeah. Yeah, me too. Tom? Yeah. Okay, me too. Moses parting the Red Sea. You're not going to go through every miracle and make no, us answer yes or no, are just you? Just keep your shirt on. Just answer the question. Yes. Yep. Yep, me too. Uh, how about that Jonah being swallowed up by that whale? Yeah. Yeah, my vote is yes. Okay, good, good. How about them boys that go in the furnace and uh, and they don't get burned alive? Winner. My, que- my question still remains, are you going to go through every miracle of the Bible? I'm giving context here, okay? Three examples now listen, is enough. Why do we believe these things? Because God told us. Okay, okay. Why else do we believe these things? Because God told us in the Bible. Oh, all right. We're, we're growing. We're growing. Listen, here's the thing. I want to say two things on this. One, it's the Bible. Okay? So, so if God is putting together a book that is going to shape the world for centuries, it's going to have some Millennium. awesome stuff in it. One. Two. The very fact that we call things miracles, like it, it, it points, it, how do I put it this way? It points to the fact that there is a normal way of doing things, that there is an ordered way that this universe works, right? And so design kind of points to a designer. And so is it possible that the designer could choose to intervene in a supernatural way if he is this that sounds, great? This but, sounds like arguments we've had in previous episodes. See our science episodes with Dr. Brian O'Neill. Hey, Brian. Hey, Brian. That was when we were good. Um, I think I missed one of those episodes, but (laughs) I was probably reading a book. Um, But uh, so so at any rate, though, if, if God created the world, he can do whatever he wants in the world. And if in his book, some exceptional things happen, count me in. Yeah, so... I will take that argument because that's, that is where I, that is where my belief stems from too. If I believe that this world couldn't possibly happen by chance. And I think a lot of my friends uh, who are, who are somewhat skeptical, skeptical of the things that happen in the Bible um, also agree with me that, that this, this earth 
people, all that we have in it could not have happened simply by by some evolutionary miracle, to use that word again, um, that there had to have been some designer, some some creator. So if you have a if you have a being, if you have a God who is powerful enough to create this world and create all the things in it and the way that it works and all that, then why is it such a leap of faith to believe some of these stories in the Bible? It's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I guess, I, I, honestly, maybe this sounds bad. I have a hard time answering this because it's just not been an issue for me. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't expect God to operate so, the way so, we operate. So let, let me tell you this. One, one of my friends was talking about, he said, um, you know, he was he was either reading a book, Gabe, so another one of our listeners who actually reads. Wow. Um, yeah. Or he, maybe watching a Netflix series. I don't there know. There we go. But uh, he said, you know, what if what if the story of Noah and, and, and the flood and all that was a story of a man who in his area uh, happened to uh, there was a flood and he happened to have the foresight to see these things coming and see the river start to fall. So he built a boat and put all of his belongings yeah. uh, in, into it. And he he survived and he did better than than his counterparts. All his friends fields were flooded and things like that. And they lost their animals. But but he was able to keep his animals and his family and things like that. And then this flood, which was maybe only a couple feet, you know, things of like floods that we see here in these days, uh, sure. you know, that's what happened. And, and because of his smarts and the tale of old Noah and how smart he was kind of just grew and grew because most stories were told uh, orally at that point. And so everyone tells fish stories and things like that. And right, it gets right, bigger right. and bigger and bigger. Like, yep. that seems like a pretty reasonable argument. Yep. yep. That's true. And, and, and in fact, uh, there's other ancient myths about a great flood, right? Uh, we, Gilgamesh, well, I think, right? I, I think I, I read one at one point that uh, that almost every major religion on this planet has a flood story. I, and I don't, I can't verify that, but I'll trust you. Right. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. And, and I guess my thought is this: like, okay, so what? Like, like I. This is again why it's maybe hard for me to answer this. Like, let's say that was the case. That doesn't really bother me because it still speaks to one true God who made a covenant with his people. Like, like I don't know that that if it was a localized flood or a worldwide flood, that that's going to make a huge difference to me. Well, no, see, so no, like I'll pick on that because then if you're gonna if you're gonna say, well, it could have could not have happened. And then the next step is, well, then the Jonah thing maybe didn't happen. And then maybe the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thing didn't right. happen. I get what you're saying. Yeah. And then, and then we're going to jump to, well, maybe the crucifixion and the resurrection didn't happen. Right, right. No, that's fair. That's okay. fair. Okay. Can, can, I, can I say this in a, I don't know, maybe a different direction, even though it's really not. Let, let's forget Noah just for a quick second. Let's look at Moses parting the Red Sea, all right? Moshe, Moshe. Yes. You have... You have the most, one of the most powerful empires in ancient history. Okay. They have enslaved the Israelites for 400 years. The Israelites get up and walk out, according to the Bible, under the guiding hand and powerful hand of God, correct? Yahweh. Yep. yep. They get to the Yom Suf which may not actually be the Red Sea, but 
Yep. Yes. Okay. And they get there. They do not have soldiers of war. They do not have chariots. They don't have weapons. They don't have horses. They're a million strong of people walking. Most of whom are women and children. How is there no historical account in any of the Egyptian annals of all of Pharaoh's army recapturing a million people that just decided to walk out one day? What would be more unbelievable that this great empire allowed, which actually probably wouldn't be recorded because it would have undermined their prowess and historical, you know, privilege. However, like what, why is it not recorded? Like, it, it seems like a very easy victory for the Egyptians to come through with their chariots and their horses to ride out and be like, no, nah, you're not going anywhere. Circle them up and bring them right back home. And that just simply didn't happen because we see the Israelite people historically battling and conquesting Palestine, even to this day. Right. Or, or the fact like they do exist, right? And we have artifacts of King David's time. We have artifacts of Israelite history. Yeah, exactly. And so we know so they it's like on the one as a on, nation, right? See, for me, we th this is where the heart of the issue lies. We will look at other historical documents with almost no skepticism, but when it comes to the Bible, we have myriad excuses not to believe it. Well, Josh, isn't that though the point though? Here is that because the Bible claims some extraordinary things, right? So like a king dying, a king having a war, da da da. We're not going to question that. Who cares? But the fact that the Bible claims these extraordinary things, isn't that what the beefcake is? Is to say, how could this be history? Because this is supernatural. This isn't what we normally see. And what I would say is that there are for not, not specifically to Noah's Ark or not specifically to the parting of the Red Sea, but on countless other occasions, the historical facts proposed by scripture are actually corroborated with other historical documents. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. where I think that I, lends credibility to the well, miracles. Yeah, exactly. Which is then why I take the step of being like, okay, if you were to get caught up with some of these miraculous accounts that are recorded in, in the Bible and you say, there's just no way they could have happened. And yet there are other historical documents that you would treat as insanely credible and accurate who corroborate other events that are recorded in the Bible, how can you pick and choose what then scripture is lying about and what or and what then scripture is being like, oh, well, I guess it's accurate because, you know, uh, Josephus or Eusebius or someone else actually, you know, corroborated it. Right. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. And so so that, I think – go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's kind of why like – because to me I look at – I'll look at science books or I'll look at uh, other mythographies and you look at the, the Epic of Gilgamesh. What other historical documents that the world by and large or historians or science, you know, scientists or whoever by and large accept as fact and true would look and say, oh, yeah, Gilgamesh totally happened. A faith or building a religious institution off of the Epic of Gilgamesh. Right. Well, but wouldn't that be the, the counter argument to say like, well, how stupid are you guys that you have a faith based, based on the same myth of Gilgamesh, but just with a different guy's name? Because Gilgamesh has no historical backing, whereas we have yeah. historical artifacts and documentation. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. Because, and, and I don't want to, I know Tom hates it when we take the science because we already had these episodes when his brother was on the episodes. No However, it's more difficult to, to believe, like, we have, I mean, I, I, never mind. I'm not going to get into it because okay. Tom has asked me not to. So can I, can I do this though? Wait, what, because... wait, what did I ask you not to get into? You say we always, when we get into this, this type of argumentation, we always delve into then, you know, contrasting it and comparing it to science and scientific arguments, yeah. which are equally as miraculous or equally as unbelievable or equally as doubtable. Yeah. Well, yes. One of the things that, that I hate is whenever we get into some of these discussions, because, you know, one of the questions that we got to was, you know, if science is true and, and how does that reconcile with what you're, what you're seeing in the Bible, you know, it, it comes back to why can't God come into this world and, and suspend physics and, and, and things like that, because he's God, he's, he's all powerful. He can do whatever he wants. Um, but the problem is that with the three of us here, you know, we sit here, especially for you two, you guys are theological experts. You know, we, we can talk about that, but none of us are science experts. Even having my brother in here, who is an aquatic biologist, can't really speak to as, as knowledgeably as other people can on physics and astrophysics and all but this see, that's kind of the stuff. Thing. That's because most of that that you just referenced is speculation. It is hypothesis. It is theory. It is not proven fact. And so in the same way that we are coming from a theological perspective, dealing with the miraculous, dealing with the unexplainable, that is where science comes from. And, and, and here's an example. I, I got into uh, a – I think it's Discovery Channel or maybe Nat Geo. I can't remember. I started recording this TV series called Space's Deepest Secrets. Ooh. Right? And they talk about – yeah, they talk about wormholes. They talk about alien planets. They talk about biospheres. They talk about space travel, Einstein's theory of relativity, you know what? All this kind of stuff, right? Not one single episode have I ever heard all of these scientific um, experts come on and say that what they are arguing for and or against can actually be proven to be accurate or true. It is speculation. It is hypothesizing. It is just an extremely applicable example of faith. They are saying we have observed this and we take it to be true. We have heard this and we take it to be true. We have seen yeah. this and we take it to be true. So how is that any different or any less reliable than when I look at or read accounts from firsthand witnesses of these people written into a book, not on the internet, but maybe in a book and say, this is what happened. How can I then discount those accounts in scripture and yet take with unadulterated faith the accounts of scientists in our own era who are saying, yeah, we don't know exactly what a black hole is, but guess what? We have all the scientific stuff that sort of tells us what a black hole is, but ultimately we just sort of think this is what a black hole is and we may never know. Yeah. And I think, I think what you're referencing to that is that I, I always want to be really careful because oftentimes, and I'm not saying us in particular, but I'm I, where these conversations sometimes lead is it just sounds like we are so anti-science that I, I, see, I, I'm no, no, I, no, 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 I, I, I think I'm completely on board with you, Josh. I believe that if, if all knowledge is on a scale of one to 10, that we are, we're getting really close to understanding a lot of these things, you know, just in the last 50 years, we have, 
we have under we have created so much knowledge we know so much more about space and black holes and all that kind of stuff but but you're absolutely right at the end of the day there is still a lot of speculation and hypothesizing and things like that but, Where, but but what what i think what the atheist or the unbeliever hears when we start talking about it is what they hear is oh they don't believe in anything about science no no, no. this is not where i'm going with this this is all i want if an atheist or an unbeliever wants me to be honest with my faith I don't know if any of this actually happened, but I take it as fact because of a faith that I have in what Gabe described as this omnipotent God who can suspend physics and do whatever he wants. Okay? I want the atheist or the unbeliever to just be honest about their own rootedness in faith that says, I actually can't explain this. I have faith that the human race will be able to explain it or justify it in some way, but that may never happen. And so therefore I have the same exact faith in what the universe is showing me or what biology is showing me or what physics is showing me. That's all I want. I believe it can be true. Like that's the thing. Like I'm cool with physics. I think Einstein was a genius. I think light speed is real. I think the theory of relativity is legit. I believe there's a creator behind those things that they didn't just happen by chance or in some sort of naturally occur occurring phenomena. But at the same time, what where I draw the line is, all right, you want to call me out on my faith. You must first acknowledge your own faith because you can theorize all you want. What you have is nothing that's proven or not nothing, but a lot of these significant things I should say. Yeah. So – I always point to my favorite Einstein quote of Einstein himself talking about evolution, you know, for, uh, the grand scale evolution from the universe as being nothing but nothing. And then somehow dust particles appeared and then somehow they started spinning and then somehow they started exploding and then somehow they started growing life. And then somehow these single celled organisms started multiplying and growing into what eventually became humans. He said, using his vernacular of the time, he said it would be like taking the individual pieces of a typewriter, throwing them in a garbage can, shaking up the garbage can, and then expecting a typewriter to be fully assembled when you got done shaking it. That's what would have to happen for me to believe in evolution. Well, and, and this is this is a fundamental distinction between what the ancients did with science and mathematics and music and art and what meant America, not America, post enlightenment world, global post enlightenment does with mathematics and biology and physics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is the ancients would look to the universe, mathematical equations to sort of justify why things were as they were. And not with an, at least from what I've read, not with an overly optimistic view of humanity's ability to then explain everything, but it was more rooted in a sense of mystery and faith, not to overuse the term for tonight. However, I feel like post-enlightenment, we take those same observations, and it's not under the guise of mystery but or, or the framework of mystery and, ex, and trying to discern these things that are beyond our control, but it's rather trying to grasp control of things that we will never be able to explain. I, if, if I'm being completely honest, I don't think humanity will ever reach a point now, a century from now, a millennia from now, where they will be able 
all of the mysteries of science or, or, or the universe or life or art or music or anything. Yep. Well, the reality is there, there, I, so I was just, as, as you guys have been talking, I was looking back over an article from uh, the Atlantic from 2014 titled why God will not die. And, uh, this individual who, who, who is a scientist says science keeps revealing how much we don't perhaps can't know yet humans seek closure, which should make religious pluralists of us all. Now I don't land with the land with the religious pluralist conclusion there. Um, but that subtitle and, and maybe to, to what you guys are getting at here is like, there's so much about the universe. We don't know. There's so much, I mean, like, and and so to to have to think that that science has absolute certainty and frankly we should have intellectual humility as well um even me and all my books uh should have intellectual humility and to think that we have everything locked down is is just you can't do that it, it does but see, but see, that's, the thing. Faith thing. that's that's the fundamental posture the, the the fundamental difference in our postures is we don't i mean i know some christians do and i just gr cringe and grit my teeth when i hear people try to propose that kind of certainty for me yeah with these miraculous events i say i don't know i just simply take it as like if i believe in this god and he says he's happened then i'm simply going to believe that they did very naively What's and yet at the same time, but I feel like the posture of science is like, no, this is how it was. We just haven't proved it yet. Give me another couple of years and we'll figure it out. And we'll actually be able to give you the scientific data to substantiate it. Can I ask this though, Josh, is, isn't there a, a middle ground there? Because I, I, I don't support the naively believing thing. Right. I mean, I, I think of, uh, so GK Chesterton has this quote. He says, uh, man, I am really pretentious, but he says, uh, the, the trouble with the world, uh, is, is not that it's reasonable and it's not that it's unreasonable. It's that it's almost reasonable, but not quite. Okay. So yeah, so, no. yeah go on. I'm, I'm cool with middle ground. I mean, yeah. I, I, I didn't want to make it sound like it's an either or because that's where we exist as Christians is a both. And we believe it can be both preposterous and yet totally believable. We can believe that it can seem as if it's it's unexplainable and yet at the same time believe the fact and trust in the fact that it's totally explainable by a God who says it was what it was, you know, or Moses saying, hey, I held up my staff and boom, paraded, and we yeah. walked on dry ground. Yeah. So that, and that's where I think you're trying to get at and yeah. where I would ultimately land as well. That's paradox. That's tension. That is the beauty of an orthodox theological perspective is saying – we don't have to go to the extreme of trying to overly apologize what we believe in, nor do we have to completely forsake it. We're okay to sit in the tension and wrestle in the paradox because that's where we have been placed, dare I say, put ourselves as human beings under the governance and sovereignty of our creator. So I want to I say this. When it, coming from a Christian theological perspective, we were created in God's image. We were created as his highest creation right yes okay and so before the fall we were in the garden with god we knew god god knew us and we you know presumably had had a lot of knowledge about what was going on and 
can you imagine the the conversations that God had with Adam and Eve? And how did you make this? How did you do this? And being that, and then having the fall, like God created us as we are to have to be smart, to have knowledge, to read books, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so I always disagree when I hear Christians say we're not supposed to play God and and clone you know, organs and things like that. Like, yeah, we kind of are like, God gave us this knowledge to do this at the end of the day there. I think there are some things, some mystery, some pieces of our, uh, of creation that we won't know because it's at the end of the day, God's like, yeah, I did that. You're just going to have to go with it. That, that I'm a supreme, all powerful being. I can't really explain it to you how I made an earth, you know, but, but we can get really far but at the end of yeah. the day, it is still a mystery. And that is, to your point, Josh, part of the beauty of, of our faith is that, that we are held in tension and that we do have to rely on, on God for some things. Yeah, well, and I think what you highlighted is where the ultimate idolatry occurs. We then say, okay, we're going to clone this organ or that organ or sheep or whatever the case may be, or we're going to take science into our own hands. And then what happens is once we use our God given creativity and wisdom and ability and curiosity and all these other things, what, when we have an outcome that is suitable to our needs or our wants, then we say, Oh, look, I have now replaced the need for God or replaced the need for a creator because I have now taken control. I am the one who is able to create or recreate anything that I want and or need. And then that's, see, that's the danger that exists. And that's where I feel like a lot of these arguments slip into is where I'm willing to say, absolutely. Cool. And I think we, yeah, go ahead. I think maybe what we're driving towards is this, is that we, you know, we're all cool with science. We like science. Uh, But I think it's understanding science's place. Like, and, and this isn't to say like, so, so for example, like, um, cloning an organ, like can science do that? Yes, it can. Is that ethical or not? I, I would argue it. Yes, it is ethical. That's fine. But I'm not looking to science to answer whether or not that's ethical. Where am I looking to answer whether or not that's ethical? Right. And so, so to me is to say, what are the limits of what science can do? Um, and, and so let's not overreach on it. And I think that's what happens is, is we have this propensity to overreach on it and, and we pretend that whatever, whatever we're able to do, we should do. And that's not necessarily the case. Like the atom bomb, probably not a great invention. Like, I'm just going to throw it out there. Um, yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing, but, but that's, I, I feel like what we've been missing is this focusing on outlandish stories of the bible we've been (laughs) we've been focusing on this complete and utter distinction of it's either science or faith right which is a false dichotomy exactly could not be more truthful all right we've been focusing on all of these other kind of distinctions but i think what you just said gabe really brings us to the heart of the matter even though you didn't say it but i'm gonna verbalize it for you thank you the brokenness of what the Christian faith proposes of all humanity. Unlike any other epic story like Gilgamesh, unlike any other sacred text, the Quran, the sayings of Buddha, whatever, okay? Unlike any others, 
the Christian faith has this obsession, not with miracles, not with exceptional events, but yep. with evil and with sin. And so what this nails down is that this question isn't rooted in whether or not we believe in miraculous things that cannot be explained, but whether or not we believe that as humans, we want to play God and take his place. Yeah. Well, and I think to me that actually gets back to my whole way of answering this in like a broad, the broadest answer I would give to like the miracles of the Bible. And if I have a hard time with them and whatever else, and, and, and I'll put it this way. Uh, you know, I believe the Bible scripture is the inerrant, infallible word of God. And you'll have to forgive us, dear listeners, if we've done this before. But why do I believe that? I believe that because that's what Jesus says. And, 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 and so to me, it comes back to saying, who is the person of Jesus Christ as an actual person who actually existed and said and did things and is recorded and was intended to be read as history? And so if I can trust who the gospels reveal Jesus to be. And man, you can look into the history of how reliable the gospels are. It's astounding. And so if, if I trust that, that that's who this guy is, and this is what he says about the Bible, if I trust in him, I'm going to trust what he says about the Bible. And so I'll take this stuff at faith because I take him uh, at his word. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, and, and and I will take it one step further. I already, you know, I already called this out of something you said, Gabe. So to me personally, and I and I brought it on in a couple episodes. You know, if you're talking about that, there's this historical figure of Jesus, and he says as he did these things, and and we have historical accounts of it, and, and all of that, and then you have a whole group of people who are martyring themselves, right. who are who are facing death through horrific deaths, being crucified, being eaten by lions, uh, cut down by gladiators and all that, that that is either the world's largest sell job. Yep. And I just don't see a bunch of people agreeing, like, we really want to sell this for all time. So you thousand people are going right. to need to go to your death. Right. Like, that doesn't make sense. There's yeah. no way you could, you could get that many people to buy in. Nope. And so when that happens just days and months and years after this person of Jesus Christ happened to me, that is a marker of, of, of this thing that, that, that did truly happen. And I'll go back to the thing that I said earlier. I do not believe that this earth could have been created simply by chance. And, and so in the very broadest sense, if, if you believe that some kind of divine creator had to create this, then why can't some of these more fantastic things in the Bible have happened as well? Yep. Boom. Nailed it. We like sort of resolved something. We never land on anything. I, I mean, I feel pretty content. Yeah. So I, we're going to be content then. We're going to go to break. And when we come back, uh, I want to wrap up. This is kind of, I, th I think this is the end of our, our rise of the nuns. And I feel like at the end of episode to our last episode we didn't finish our argument and i think the finishing of that argument finishes off this entire this entire three series set so we're going to come back we've got some good stuff coming up after this i also like i use the word finish and or finishes six times in one sentence well, let's finish it up that was good finish him finish him <laughs>
as promised, we are going to wrap up this series of Rise of the Nuns. And so uh, if you recall back to episode two of this, uh, we were talking about uh, the afterlife. And I was making an argument. Again, I was playing devil's advocate. But the argument of if you believe that there is no afterlife, that it is just you are just done, that if you live a good and happy life, that 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 you can you can in fact die happy. Your arguments were no that there if you're going to believe that then you got to believe that the whole middle part is nothing and we were going back and forth and we never really landed I think from where the three of us would want to land of having a really great uh, ending argument uh, uh, the closing statement for our faith of of why we believe what we believe and why we believe so strongly that there is an afterlife and that, that, that for believers in Jesus Christ, that that afterlife is with him forever in heaven. Yeah. So a few things to resolve that I would say this, do, do I think people who don't believe in an afterlife can uh, have a happy life and at least in their eyes, a fulfilled life? Yes. Do I think it's an intellectually honest life? No. Uh, so, so let me make that distinction. Secondly, um, uh, so, so not, not, to, not to be too negative, but I also want to point out that that is a, uh, a privileged position, right? That is a, a Western post-enlightenment, very, very privileged position. And I'm sorry if I ranted on this last episode, but my point being like the, the reason why um, African-American spirituals are so much about the afterlife is because their present life sucked. And, and, and so, so the, the hope that they had is what drove them that life isn't just grinding poverty, that, that my kids aren't being born just to get sucked into this crap again. And so, so there's this, this sort of transcendent dimension. And so I, I'm just saying, if you're just satisfied with where you're at, there's a reason Jesus says, woe to you who are rich. Okay. Just throwing that out there. Next thing, is, is I would say, um, I believe there's an afterlife because I believe Jesus rose from the dead. And that, that to me is the ultimate thing. That uh, I think that actually happened in history, and we've talked about why we think that happened uh, in this episode and in previous episodes. Uh, but if that actually did happen in history, it means he's the one who's conquered death, and he said anyone who unites themselves to me will be with me for eternity. And and so there's um, there's no way around that for me, is to say, all right, that's that's the hope I have. And, and then, and finally, and seventhly, um, there's uh, the classic Pascal's wager. Guess what? If I'm wrong, super not a big deal. Worm dirt. If I'm right, super big deal. So it's, it's uh, your, your gamble, I guess. Stunned silence. That's right. No, and I, I think... I would say that, Gabe, because you are far more intellectually in tune than I am to the world of brains and smarts and books. As we say, well read. Already, yeah, well read. Okay, well read. Well fine, defined fine, in fine, the last episode. <clears throat> I was trying not to say that, but I'm going to now. You are so well read that I think for me, I find that this. As I look at my life and the alternatives presented to me, 
this is the only thing that actually gives me hope. Mm. Because when I look at the stuff that I struggle with, when I hear the stories of people that I pastor who struggle with and are challenged by systemic injustice, generational poverty, um, I mean, I don't need to keep going on that because I can even just look at my own life that, that the fact that I have received a promise of comfort and of redemption from every single one of those things. And those around me have also received a promise of redemption from those in the fact that things will be made new again, where I will never have to struggle with that, where people, mm-hmm. you know, a good friend of ours will never have to be depressed again mm-hmm. or young men. Are you talking about never- me? Yeah, no, no, actually I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't. No, uh, uh, another friend of mine, yeah. and a member of our church as a matter of fact. But you know, where these things that we, that we as, as human beings suffer from, the fact that there will be a day where we will no longer suffer from them, and not only that, but the very presence and reality of them will no longer exist. Like, why wouldn't I want that? Why, yeah, how how can I not look with hope to the only source of freedom from those things that is presented to me in all of my alternatives that have been that have been pushed my way my entire life? You yep. know what I'm saying? Like, yep. I could sit here and be like, wow. Uh, you know, I'm always going to be an angry person or I'm always going to suffer from depression. I'm always going to be a porn addict. I'm always going to be a drunk. I'm always going to be a pill head, you know, whatever the case may be. But when I die, shoot, it'll all be over. Whatever. What does it actually give me? That gives me no hope. It pushes me further into despair, further into the things that suck life from me. Whereas when I look at the promises of Christ given to me through scripture, it says, you know what, there will come a day where not only will those things cease to exist, but I will make everything new where you will live a life, a full life. And isn't that what we hear in the media? Isn't that what we hear from our friends and family? Ah, I just want to live life to the fullest. You know, I yep. just want to experience life in its in its best possible way. What you have now is crap and, and it's suffering compared to what is out there and what is in the future if you direct your faith to the one that can actually accomplish that. So Gosh. one, one, one of the things that I think about when, when yes, you Gabe, talk- did I pull you out of your pit of despair and, and existential crises? Dude, you are such a better pastor than I am. Like Hey-o. you are, that was so much better. Like, wow. Ah, yes. Wow. That was like the first sermon I feel like I've ever heard. That was just great. You know, hey, you could be my member. You want to be my member? I won't tithe. That's fine. That's fine. I don't need your money. God, get... God wants your money, Gabe. That's all he wants is your money. <laughs> Before Sorry, we get too, too far off the tracks here, I think one of the things, you know, Josh, everything that you said is, I believe to be true and and something that I hope in as well. But I think one of the, the, the cynic will look at that and say, you're je- this is the, the biggest carrot on a stick that has been thrown out there ever is just looking forward to something because because life here isn't that great. Here's the thing though, you tell me what's a better carrot on a stick, and I'm sorry if I interrupt you, you got more to say? I, I do, but go ahead. Okay, what's a better carrot on a stick, man? There's no judgment day, 
There's no God who ultimately decides good or bad. And so I am literally free to do whatever I want. I can pursue sexuality however I want. I can pursue money however I want. I can pursue people however I want. And I'm not saying people necessarily do that poorly if if they don't believe in God, but I'm saying the biggest carrot on the stick is absolute freedom. And, and that's what we think we want. And that usually ends up destroying us. And so to me, that's a bigger carrot on the stick than to say, there's a God who, who stands in judgment over me. Whew, I don't want that. I want to be free. I want to do what I want. That's the carrot. Sure. But even going back to your, your comment about a very privileged perspective, the person who doesn't have the freedom to live okay. how they how, yeah, how yeah. they want that they've just lived in oppression forever your your example of of african american slaves yeah. is a great point they yeah. i am just going to make up something that's better to just get me through the day so it's just you Freudian know, wish fulfillment yeah as long as i know there's a cold beer in the fridge when i get back from work i don't really care what i'm doing you know just let me let me finish at that doesn't do it for me when it comes to trying to prove my faith in, in Jesus Christ. I go back to all the things that we've talked about here from, I'll reiterate again, that I don't believe that this earth was created from, from absolutely nothing. It had to have been a, an intelligent, amazing God to do this. We have the historical accounts of Jesus. We have the fact that I don't think anyone can argue that we are not as humans and this world doesn't run perfectly. That for the most part, it, it, there is a lot of awful things happening. And so we are, we are a broken version of, of something. And so here we have, we have out of 7 billion people, 6.8 of them believe in something. Yep. And you can't tell me that 6.8 billion people are wrong. And so do I believe that some of them have the wrong version of God? Yes. I, I happen to believe in this version, in, in the Christian version of, of Jesus Christ. And what the book, what the Bible says matches up and makes sense to me. And so that's, to me, how I put this all together and say, this is, this is what I believe. And so I'm going to choose to believe some of the fantastical things that happen in the Bible. Cool. Tom. All right. You yep. got to preach in the only argument I would make is that actually there's a little Latin term for those of you who are well-read. You might recognize this ex nihilo. Come on. Right? Uh, and that means that God actually did create everything out of nothing. I think when Tom said out of nothing, he meant like no divine. Like primordial ooze. Right. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. Well, All right. I take that back, Tom. And instead Side I say tangent. Last call. Come on, come on, come on. Hey, friends, thanks for listening and for joining us. We got a few shout outs for you. Check out our social media IG, Instagram. You know what it is. Twitter, find us on there. Shoot us I a line. Uh huh. 612 208 6258. We'd love to discuss your questions on air. Um, and also, as always, as always, we want to thank our nearest. And dearest fan, Janet, Janet O'Neill. Janet O'Neill, you're Wait, the best. Did you call her Jan. Does she go by Jan? No, she goes by Janet. I thought you said Jan. No, remember? No. I'm yeah. married. Yeah. I'm married. A yeah. girl named Jan. 
Yan. 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 Gosh. All right. Till next time, For friends. For as well-read as you guys claim to be, you guys are dumb. Calm down. We're out.